Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. This week on Addressing Alaskans, Anchorage's Climate Action Plan. I'm Ammon Swenson. Today's program is a panel discussion about what the municipality is doing to address climate change and how you can help. We'll hear from representatives from the municipality of Anchorage and the University of Alaska Anchorage. Mayor Ethan Berkowitz also makes an appearance. This program was recorded at 49th State Brewing Company on November 6th and was presented by Alaska Common Ground. We'll begin with moderator Libby Roderick. Great. So tonight it's going to be a mixture of talking about the Municipal Climate Action Plan, what's in it, and also ways we can make individual actions that support that work. The uh, Climate Action Plans covers what the municipality can do, and that is 4% of the climate emissions in this town. So climate change is here, as I think we all know, what can we do? And I don't probably need to tell anybody here, particularly after last summer, that we are seeing the impacts all over the state. We have a rise in wildfires. I've never in my time in Anchorage seen a wildfire come as close to my house as it did last summer, but we have them all over the state. Uh, we have threats to our fisheries with what's happening into our waters. Uh, our Obviously, snowfall is changing more into rain as we are seeing as we speak. Uh, we are bracing for invading parasites and ticks and other kinds of um, invasive species. We have beetle damage to our spruce and other trees. Anyway, you know probably much of this information about what's actually happening. So tonight, we're going to focus, of course, on solutions. Uh, a climate action plan, which we just created, is a strategic roadmap for measuring and reducing greenhouse gas emissions and preparing for the impacts of climate change. So it's both trying to reduce our impacts and also prepare ourselves for the inevitable impacts that are coming our way. Uh, the municipality collaborated with you, the University of Alaska, to create it, and it was passed by our municipal assembly in May of this year. Um, who has a climate action plan? We're an incredibly good company. There's people moving all across the U.S., cities and states to create their own climate action plan and people, of course, working internationally. We're part of a number of partnerships that people will speak about in a bit. And also all over Alaska, folks are working on plans. Some of them are uh, just adaptation. How do we deal with or prepare for the impacts that are happening to us that are climate related? And others are uh, also looking on ways to reduce our impacts through mitigation. So we're going to move right into our panel. Um, I'm going to start off with Mara Kimmel. I think many of you know her. She has, is many things, but she's also the Alaska uh, Anchorage Mayor's Office lead on the resilience and welcoming initiatives, as well as, uh, at least formally, a professor of political science at UAA. So welcome, Mara. Thank you. Well, I have to say that this is amazing, and this has been an incredibly long journey, and I know that this is the beginning, but to acknowledge each and every one of you here tonight and to also be aware that many, many of you have been with us throughout this entire process and even before. So I'm just going to give a little bit of background as to why we've gone through this trouble and why we've developed a climate action plan and why it is that our time is now. And to do so, it's really to tell the story about Anchorage. And it's really to tell the story about a city that is persistent, that is a city that depends on partners and each other, that is a city that's trying really hard to be welcoming, and a city that by doing all of those things is building our resilience. So we're sitting up here 
at the gateway to the Arctic, the top of the world, and we are facing pretty dramatic transformation. We see it every single day, like Libby mentioned. We're seeing changes to our environment, obviously. We're seeing changes to our economy as we're looking past oil and we're looking into potential new opportunities for ensuring that we can all continue to live a life that we've become accustomed to. And then finally, we're really experiencing some pretty profound changes in equities. And what I mean by that is our population has been dramatically transforming over the last few years. We speak over 100 languages in our schools. We have some of the most ethnically diverse schools in the country. We have the most, one of the most ethnically diverse census tracts. There's power and there's also challenge in those equities. And so when we were setting out to create our climate action plan, we really wanted to make sure that this plan was gonna be rooted in the community values that we hold so dear and why we're so proud to be Alaskans and to be Anchorage residents. And I think that some of the reasons that we're so proud of that is because we know that change is a steady state in our community. We're always getting ready. This time of year, we're changing our tires over, we're changing our shoes, we're changing our clothing. We know this, this is the way that we live. What's different now is the rapidity of the change and the things that are coming our way, we're not sure about. And we've really gotta make sure that we're all safe and we have the ability to survive through some of these dramatic changes and to thrive through them. We know that place matters. We're all proud Alaskans. And it's really that connection with where we live and our place that informs a lot of what we do. And we also really rely on each other, as I said earlier. We've got to, we, we, we have so many different cultural values and viewpoints in here, in our city and in our state. And coming together really enables a much broader range of opportunities for us. When we make sure that everybody's voice and everybody's vision can be heard and can be actuated, it just gives us so much more hope and opportunity. And then finally, we're Alaskans. We do things our way and we do things to make sure that we're all safe and secure. We are self-reliant. We're both independent and yet we're interdependent on each other. All of this together combines to build what we're calling resilience in our community. And resilience being the ability to make sure that as we're facing chronic stresses and acute shocks, the earthquakes, the wildfires that were described earlier, all of those things that we can not only survive through them, but that we can thrive through them. That's a really, really important component. And so as we set out to do the climate action plan, actually this product, this, this city policy is rooted in two different values frameworks that the city's been working on since our mayor became uh, mayor in 2015. One was a strategic welcoming roadmap where we outlined the different ways that we believe that our diversity can be a strength and an opportunity. And through a community-wide process that involved a similar number of people that were engaged in the Climate Action Plan, we identified some key values of equity, inclusivity, and justice as driving forces behind developing the community that we want to become. And from that, we then developed a resilience roadmap where we looked at our diversity as a strength and as an asset to make sure that we can survive and thrive through the chronic stresses and acute shocks that we know we'd be facing. And so through all of these roadmaps, 
we set forth some different paths, one of which is what we're here tonight to discuss, but I also wanna mention another piece that is absolutely critical in terms of understanding how we can all come together and how we can erode the barriers to making sure that these partnerships can be affected. And one of the things that we've done recently and one of the outgrowths of both the welcoming and the resilience plan is to make sure that language is not a barrier. I said earlier that we speak over 100 different languages in our streets and in our schools, and we need to make sure that everybody can get access to the critical information that we're going to need as we face some of the impacts of climate. Um, and so one of the things that we've been able to do since, we, since Ethan took office is we've been able to make sure that the city's frontline service providers, the police department, the fire department, the health department, the Office of Emergency Management, all have documents and the capacity to make sure that language is not a barrier for people who need to get help. And so we're incredibly proud of that as we look toward building a more inclusive community. And I think that that inclusion and that sense of outreach and that sense of engagement really drove the way that this Climate Action Plan was developed. And Micah and Shana are gonna talk a lot more about how we did this and then what we're doing um, and what we're all doing. But I just wanna end my comments by thanking everybody in this room for coming tonight and again, thanking the people that have been, uh, been a part of this process since the beginning. I wanna give a special super duper call out to Libby Roderick though, because actually this process started uh, in 2007 when Libby inspired a group of professors at the university to, to think about the way that climate is going to impact on our lives. And from that, a group of students took it upon themselves to develop the city's first ever climate action plan and it didn't really go anywhere. And we picked it up 10 years later and tonight we're all here as a result. And so that's what I mean by we are a community of persistence and we are a community of partnerships because this would not have been able to be done. The city would not be able to do the work it has uh, set out to do if it weren't for amazing, inspiring people like Libby and like Micah and all of our community partners that the city relies on and including each and every one of you. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mira. Uh, Micah Hahn's gonna speak next. She's at uh, UAA Institute of Circumpolar Health Studies and talk a little bit more about how the plan got developed and ways you can get uh, involved in terms of your own impact. Awesome, thank you so much, Libby. Um, okay, so as Libby mentioned, I have two tasks tonight. Um, the first of which is to tell you a little bit more about how the Anchorage Climate Plan came to be. So we had a steering committee that was made up of university and municipal staff, and we worked together to sort of frame the, create the framework for the climate action plan. We recruited the members of our advisory committee as well as our working group members. We hosted the technical working sessions for the plan, and we also hosted um, a number of community meetings throughout the, the plan development process. Um, our working group members really developed the bulk of what we call the actions in our climate action plan. And we had almost 70 working group members across these seven sectors. And these were folks from the university, from the municipality, uh, local businesses, community organizations, or state and federal agencies who had subject matter expertise in one of these areas. And then finally, our advisory committee was a much smaller group of people, um, including the chancellors from UAA and APU, um, local community organizations, and the business community. And these were folks who weren't necessarily represented in our seven sectors, but we, we really wanted their input and, over, and, and thoughts on sort of the big picture plan. 
And so these folks reviewed the plan throughout the plan development process and gave us feedback um, really through the lenses of equity and economic prosperity. So essentially, they, they read our proposals and thought, hmm, does this make business sense for the municipality? And also, is the way that the plan is written really making sure that it's providing benefits for, for all Anchorage residents? One of the most fun parts of, of developing the Climate Action Plan was thinking of creative ways to get Anchorage residents involved in the development of the plan. Um, and throughout, throughout the plan process, we hosted a number of community events. At the beginning, it was more um, folks had an opportunity to, to brainstorm and say, these are the types of things that I would like to see in this sector. And as the plan development progressed and we had um, draft recommendations, folks actually had the opportunity to give us feedback on specific actions or identify gaps to say, hey, you guys are totally missing this thing that's, that's really important. Um, and then finally, we had a, a formal public comment period where individuals had the opportunity, um, everyone here in this room had the opportunity to, to download the whole plan, read it from cover to cover if they chose to, and then provide us comments. Um, so by the time we presented it to the Anchorage Assembly in May of this year, over 1,300 Anchorage residents had engaged in some way in the development of the, the Climate Action Plan. Okay, and so then my second task, I wanna switch gears a little bit. Um, and before I turn it over to Shana to tell you what the municipality is doing around climate change in Anchorage, I wanna talk a little bit about why I think a lot of you guys are here tonight, which is wondering how can Anchorage residents get involved in the Anchorage Climate Action Plan? Um, and we thought we would take this opportunity to, to present you guys with a tool that you can take home to assess your own personal environmental impact. But even more importantly, what this tool allows you to do is to identify practical strategies that you can implement in your own lives to, to address your personal carbon impact. Um, so who has heard of this idea of an ecological footprint? I have a few students in the audience, and I know they have. <laughs> Okay, it's cool, so it's not totally foreign. So this is basically a way that we can measure human impact on our Earth, on our planet. Um, and what's really cool about ecological footprints is that this concept is scalable. You can measure ecological footprints at the global level or at the national level, at a community level, or importantly for you guys, at an, at an individual level or a household level. And as this, um, as this idea of ecological footprints has become more common and sort of used in everyday language, a number of online ecological footprint calculators have started to develop. Um, and I've, I've looked at a number of these footprint calculators for use in some of my classes at the university. Um, I encourage you to explore the wild, wide world of footprint calculators, but for those of you who want the answer and the place to go, I really like this one. Um, you can reach it at footprintcalculator.org. But wait, because it's going to take you a little while to, to answer all of these questions. So write it down so you can go home this weekend and have a discussion within your household um, about some of the questions that come up as you, as you answer your, this footprint calculator. So footprintcalculator.org, and we can come back to this. But what I want to do is just walk you through sort of the interface so you can see what it looks like. So when you start the footprint calculator, it asks you a series of questions. So for example, how often do you eat animal-based products? And there's a little slider bar, and you can say anything from never to very often and everything in between. And one of the things that's really cool about this particular calculator is that it often gives you the opportunity to add details to improve accuracy, right? So if you click that little link, so on this question about animal-based products, it will bring up a new window. 
And here you can actually add a little nuance, right? Like it matters if you're eating beef or salmon, right? These have different ecological impacts. Um, and so I think that by adding this additional information, it really gives you a final result that is much more tailored to your, your personal life and is more accurate than some of the calculators I've seen. Um, so the calculator, the Hopeburn calculator will walk you through a number of questions around food, around housing, um, transportation and mobility, and also goods and services consumption. And after you finish answering all the questions, you'll get to two different results screens. Um, and for the sake of education and learning, I'm using myself as a guinea pig. So I have filled out the, uh, the uh, footprint calculator. I'm about to show you my results, so please withhold your judgment. Um, <laughs> please, yeah, right. Okay, so when I answered the footprint calculator, I found out that if everyone lived like me, it would take 3.2 Earths to support humanity. Like, that's not good, people. We're aiming for one here, right? We've only got one Earth. So I've got work to do, right? Like, I'm not perfect. There are things that I can do in my life to decrease my own environmental footprint. But this isn't that actionable, right? Like, ah, I know, I cause a lot of carbon emissions. Great, what am I going to do about it? Another really cool thing in this particular um, calculator is that if you click see details, it breaks it out for you. So you can start to see what parts of your life are really driving your, your big footprint, right? And what do you guys see in, in my footprint? Okay, driving, so mobility, right? So again, like this is again, not quite that actionable. So of course I was like, mobility, okay, wait, what do I need to do? So I, I went back and I looked into the mobility questions and I thought like, what is driving this, right? What is driving this? Um, and you know, it asked me how many miles per week I drive, um, the energy or the fuel efficiency of my car, and how often I'm flying, or some of the big questions that came up. You know, I, I work pretty close to, I, I am lucky to work close to where I live, so I bike to work most days. I said I drive less than 25 miles per week. Um, I have a Subaru, 27 miles per gallon. You know, ne neither of these are amazing, but I thought like, that's probably not what's really driving this. Let me look at air, air travel. How, how does that look? So the question, the way that this calculator uh, addresses that question is it asks you, how many hours per year do you fly? So to answer this question, I sort of did a back in the envelope calculation. I thought, well, if I fly to the lower 48 four times a year, I have to go for work and present at conferences. My family's in Tennessee, maybe we go for vacation once. Okay, seems kind of reasonable. It's three hours to Seattle. Another five to six to my final destination. That's about a 17-hour round trip. Times four is 70 hours per year for airplane travel. Not including in-state travel. I do some of that too. So this is maybe even a low-end estimate for myself. So um, being a scientist, I thought, let's do an experiment. Okay, so four flights a year gets me 3.2 Earths, right? Could I cut that back? What if I cut it back to one flight a year? What does that do? So, you know, we can use this tool to help answer that question. I went back to my answers. I erased 70 hours per year and I put in 17 hours per year. How do you think that changed things? Any guesses? One Earth. One Earth? How many Earths did I drop? <laughs> wow, a pretty big impact, right? Like over half. I was like, wow. If I want to do something in my life to impact my environmental footprint, like maybe I should be thinking about plane travel, which is hard for Alaskans. But, you know, 
This isn't the only thing, though. I'll say, uh, this was so much fun, I did one more experiment. I thought, okay, well, what about my house? Right now, my partner, my partner and I live in about an 850-square-foot house. So it's pretty small. I got a pretty good score in my housing, but eventually, maybe we'll decide this isn't, house isn't big enough for us, right? Everyone gets that feeling every once in a while. So what if we moved into a 1,200-square-foot house? How does that change things? So I went back in my footprint calculator. I erased 850 square feet, and I put in 1,200 square feet. Redid my calculator. What do you think my Earth score was? Four. Four. Anyone else? 3.5. <laughs> so I increased about a third of an earth. I mean, guys, a third of an earth, that's pretty substantial. Let's not like, let's not mince words here. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot of things go into a personal decision to buy a house. I mean, cost and location. But if this is something that's truly important to me, like this will be a conversation that we have in our household when we're trying to think about, do we need a bigger house or do we not need a bigger house? So. I guess I, the only thought I want to leave you guys with is that if you start to measure your ecological footprint, the beauty of this is that you can identify specific areas in your lives where you're having a big impact, right? And then I would encourage you to play around with tools like these to be able to you know, use data to make decisions about practical things that you can do in your own life to really decrease your personal um, carbon footprint. Okay, so I'm gonna pass it back to Libby. Thank you, uh, Micah. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media, FM 91.1. Today's program is a panel discussion about Anchorage's Climate Action Plan. We pick back up with moderator Libby Roderick. So our third and final panelist is Shana Kilcoyne. She is the Energy and Sustainability Manager for the Municipality uh, in the Solid Waste Services Department. And she will really uh, take us in a deeper dive into what's in the plan itself. Thank you. So this was a huge effort, right? The Climate Action Plan, and um, we're really excited about having a complete Climate Action Plan. And it clocks in at a dandy 108 pages. So um, it's a lot, and it, can I see a show of hands? Has anybody read it? Okay, quite a few. This isn't bad. <laughs> um, and so like Libby said, this is really a plan to, um, you know, chart our, our goals towards reducing our emissions and preparing for the changes that we are already seeing. This climate action plan is a foundational document. This is rich in historical text. Um, this has narratives, it has science, it has sources. It's a really lovely plan and, and it's a lot. And so you might be thinking, Shana, I don't have time to read a 108 plan, page plan. That's fine, we've made it a little bit more accessible for you. We've got this lovely 12 page plan um, that is readable in one sitting. And um, our goal here was really to, to kind of identify what is the municipality gonna do right away? What are the high impact uh, actions that will make a difference right now in terms of preparing for climate change, in terms of reducing our emissions, and in terms of bettering the, the quality of people's lives. So that's what this document is about. And I do hope that you have a chance to look through it. You can go to www.muni.org uh, climate backslash climate action plan to find both of these documents. So as has been stated earlier tonight, um, we're kind of melding these two things. The climate action plan, when we say the municipality, we're talking about the local government. This was made by the people of Anchorage for the local government. So that is a small 
piece of the pie when we're talking about carbon emissions. And we're kind of bridging this tonight with what people can do in their daily lives. So we're gonna go back and forth just a little bit. And we're also going to use um, that Menti tool, the online tool that uh, we already tried once before. So if you have your phones handy, we're gonna ask you a couple of questions throughout the presentation to get your immediate feedback. This is meant to be a fun exercise. There are some quizzes involved, um, but don't fret, we're not uh, scoring you and we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna show your, your results. So um, we've got a question here for you. And we're wondering, we're gonna start with buildings and energy. We're wondering, have you done anything in your home to reduce your energy usage and your uh, carbon emissions? So what you can do here is uh, log back in and your phone should automatically go to this page. You can click refresh if it has not. You can raise your hand if you're having some problems and we've got some folks that can help you. You can click as many things as you want on here and we're just gonna watch them tally up. Lots of renters, good. I'm super excited that Many people have changed their lights to LEDs. I'm gonna talk about LEDs a lot. I can't stop myself. So, <laughs> so this is really good. Um, what we're seeing here is that um, a lot of people have done some of the really simple things, like changing out their lights, installing a programmable thermostat. 20% of you have done that. That's really great. And a whopping 6% of you have installed solar panels. 6% of the people in this room. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So I do wanna say, um, you know, for the renters, you might feel like you don't have much power and that you, you can be in a weird position there. I will say that if you are gonna be in your uh, your home for a year or two, you can change out your most frequent, frequently used lights to LEDs and you can save money in that year or two. They are so much more efficient than uh, incandescents and CFLs. Uh, I will also say that if you don't pay your electric, electricity or heating bills, um, well, you actually do uh, through your rent. So if you have a good relationship with your, your landlord, you might want to start talking to them about making investments in your home and making it more comfortable for you. So, oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm done. Micah's gonna go back and forth for me quite a bit here because we've got a handful of those questions for you. Uh, so on buildings and energy, um, we've, we, I've already started to talk about it Energy efficiency is literally my favorite topic. Um, I, yeah, and so uh, the municipality is really starting with the low-hanging fruit. What can we do to save taxpayer money and put that into other programs? How can we operate more efficiently? And I will say that Mayor Berkowitz commissioned a study a couple of years ago that identified about $3 million worth of savings in our municipal buildings alone. So we're targeting those right away, and that starts with lights. It starts with... Uh, lighting controls. And when I talk about energy efficiency, I'm talking about ways to uh, reduce our energy use and reduce waste without changing your behavior. So instead of asking people to turn off the light when they leave the room, we can install motion sensors and you don't even have to think about it and you will just save money. Uh, who doesn't like that? So uh, we're going off of this report, we know what best practices are and we're really focused on saving energy in our facilities. But as noted, a lot of the energy use uh, from within the municipality is gonna be beyond uh, municipal local government buildings. And so we wanna work with residents, uh, that's you, we wanna work with you and make sure that you can do the same in your homes and in your businesses. That report identified about $80 million worth of savings in private, commercial, and residential buildings. So that is a ton of savings that we could that could be used towards 
our daily needs um, and towards ex expanding our businesses, whatever we want to do with that. So we're looking at ways to help you. You might be saying, yes, an on-demand hot water heating system sounds amazing, but I don't have the cash laying around for it. We're going to try to help you identify ways that you can do that so that you don't have to have the cash up front. If you're running a business, you maybe don't have that cash up front or you don't want to put it into this. We're trying to come up with more solutions for you for financial mechanisms, reducing those barriers and offering and looking at incentives um, as well as strengthening our building energy standards. So there's a lot of things that we can do here. Uh, I have a, a little opportunity to brag here. We've done a lot, actually. The municipality has done a ton of energy efficiency. Um, solid waste services, that's where I work. Uh, we've done a large retrofit project, and we're saving about 40% in our administrative uh, buildings. And that equates to about $32,000 over 2014 that we would be paying based on today's rates. So it's big savings, and that's just one facility. We've got solar panels. You all know that there's solar panels on the Egan Center, right? We've, excellent. We've also got solar, that's 75 kilowatts. That's a ton, it's 216 panels. Uh, and we've got solar panels on Fire Station 10 out at Rabbit Creek Road. Next year, we're putting 50 kilowatts out at the landfill. So we're gonna keep going. We're looking for more roof space. We're identifying even more spaces to do this. Okay, uh, let's, oh, so our next activity is not Menti, but we're going to ask something a little bit special this time. We're going to ask you to say hello to a neighbor, take a minute to introduce yourself, and talk about what your commute is like, whether that's to work or to fun, to the gym, whatever you're doing. Talk about your commute and any challenges or successes that you have in reducing your carbon footprint throughout that commute. We're going to give you one minute each, so... Uh, Say hello to somebody. I hope you meet somebody new and uh, chat it up. <laughs> okay, all right, that's a minute. Let's bring it back. Is there, is there one brave person who wants to share what their commuting lifestyle is and any challenges or successes? Can you raise your hand if you want to share what, you're, what, you're, what you talked about? Preferably somebody with a loud voice. Yeah. But, like you bike? You bike commute. That's awesome. I'm going to call. You try to. Yes. <laughs> and behind? Great. They talked about the bus system and about how easy it is in different parts of town. Awesome. Great. Excellent. And one more. Oh, yeah. Helping dealers move into electric vehicles. Good. We're going to talk about most of these things tonight. Excellent. So, um, Transportation accounts for about 50% of our emissions in Anchorage and 25% of our emissions statewide. This is a big deal that we're, big challenge that we're dealing with. And it is, it is a challenge. It's, it's difficult, you know, we're used to cars. Um, I will say that we are um, really excited about the plans that we're working on and developments which kind of get us away from that and offer a lifestyle that is a little more in line with uh, commuting locally so that you do have options to take the bus or to bike to work. Um, this transportation is about humans. And so this has to be about the options that we present. So if we're offering more bike-friendly roads and we're offering better transportation service, um, that needs to be the big part of the conversation. And you know what? 
personal vehicles are going to be part of this conversation for a long time yet here in Anchorage. And so then we need to talk about electrifying our vehicle fleets and promoting energy efficient vehicles. Um, we're not just going to say we all need to be biking and that's, that's how we're going to do it. So this is people centered and it's a big task. Um, one win that I am excited to uh, share tonight is that our Metropolitan Transportation Association, uh, AMATS, did in 2018 pass complete streets. And so that really expands the design of a street to a car-centered view to more of an inclusive view. So for walkers and public transit users and bikers, this is this Bernard Corridor, and I hope you've seen it, it's terrific. It's now got colored bike lanes, it's got wider sidewalks, and it's got safer uh, cross sections. I always get stuck on this word, I, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> so when we do talk about vehicles, um, it is really exciting. In fact, the automotive industry has dedicated about $300 billion in the last two years to electric vehicles. They see that this is where this is going. And so when you talk to people about you know, electric vehicles and whether that might be a part of their life, you hear a lot of people say, well, if I can't drive to Fairbanks, then you know, that doesn't work for me. And I hear you, I ask how many times you go to Fairbanks, because for me it's like once every five years. But I, I, t I totally understand you want to feel confident that you can drive somewhere. And in the winter, you know, you know that the car battery doesn't get you as far. And so improving our, our, our charging infrastructure is a big piece of that. So we are working towards a, an EV, an electric vehicle readiness plan with all the different entities on the, the road belt system. So from Fairbanks to Homer to Valdez, we're working with electric utilities, Department of Transportation, um, different municipalities and boroughs to develop a plan to make that charging system work so that you can connect to different communities. It's not gonna happen all at once. We do have, the good news is, there's about a million dollars that's ready, that's almost ready to be put out in grants to go towards chargers. So we're getting closer and there is, uh, you know, there is gonna be a lot of, I think, investment in the very near future. I wanna point out real quick, this is, this is, um, this is Sparkles. This is our solid waste services electric vehicle. Um, she's very tough. And uh, she's our first all electric vehicle in the municipality. Um, she's charging here at the, uh, the ACDA parking lot on G Street and Sixth, so if you haven't checked that out, it's really cool. Um, you can charge for free, you just have to pay for parking like everybody else. So let's talk about garbage. This is a fun topic. We have a couple of menti polls for you. So if you'll pull out your phones again, this is gonna be a little bit of a rapid fire question. Um, I've got a couple of questions about recycling because when we talk about garbage, we actually are talking about how not to make garbage. Uh, so we're, our first question is, is this number one plastic water bottle, is this recyclable in Anchorage? Okay, most of you are saying yes. And the good news is this, the number one plastic water bottle is definitely recyclable. Um, you can recycle it in your cart, in your curbside pickup cart, or you can take it to a recycling center and recycle it. So you can keep it out of the landfill. Okay, this next one, this is a number two Jug, plastic jug, like you have for your detergent, your laundry detergent, is this recyclable? A little less sure about this, but yes, this is recyclable. Um, yeah, make sure it's rinsed out, but yes, these are definitely recyclable. These are very valuable plastics, so don't throw them away in the trash. 
Okay, Greasy Pete's box. <laughs> now I want pizza. Okay, most of you are, this one's, this one's harder, I think. This, that greasy box is not recyclable. We do need to throw that one away, but if you have just a little bit of grease, you can put it in the recycling bin. I usually tear off the top and recycle half, throw away half. So, uh, yeah, super fun nuance there, but we do our best. Okay, how about glass? Some people are like, this is a trick question. Awesome. Glass is recyclable. You cannot put it in your curbside composting, but you can take it to the recycling center. Do I have another one or is that it? Oh, I have one on composting because we have composting programs either curbside or you can do community composting. So we're wondering if these, these bones are compostable through the Solid Waste Services composting program. Oh, they're not carrots, they're bones. <laughs> they were talking up here about how they looked like carrots. That's right. So the composting program does not take any dairy or meat products, so keep it to your veggies and your fruit scraps and your, uh, your yard waste for successful composting. Okay, so back to the presentation. Thank you for participating in the, the online poll. Um, recycling and composting can be confusing, and uh, our, my colleague Susanna does a wonderful job of trying to make it clear so you can go to our website on muni.org and um, find out exactly what is composting or what is recyclable and where to take it. And there's also some hot tips over here on the, the table. So in Anchorage, we go through about 1,200 tons of, of garbage every single day. And about 80% of that goes through Midtown through the Central Transfer Station. So that's quite a bit. That means that we're, we're, we've got about five to six pounds of trash per person per day, and that's compared to the national average of 4.4 pounds. So we've got a bit of work to do. Um, at Solid Waste Services, we're doing a lot to keep trash out of the landfill in order to extend the life of the landfill as long as possible. We've got this one landfill. We, do actually, we actually don't have a lot of other large spaces that can be used for our next landfill. So this is what we call our doomsday clock. And you can go online and say, okay, if we recycle, if we recycle all of our aluminum, how many more years of the landfill is that going to get us? So it's kind of just a fun tool that you can play around with. So we're also working on capturing more methane gas, which is a powerful greenhouse gas that we can turn into energy. At the landfill, we're collecting methane gas and we're selling it to J-Bear in the form of electricity. Uh, we are still flaring some, so we're looking for ways to expand those projects and make use out of that gas. Currently, we're able to create about enough electricity to power about 4,000 Anchorage homes um, that's going to J-Bear. So this is what we want to see more of and what we're trying to do. Um, and we're also, you may have heard, building a new central transfer station so that we can pull more recycling and composting out of the facility. Our central transfer station, if you've been there on a Saturday, it wasn't built for the, what we've got here in Anchorage today. And it, it's a tight space, and we know that we need a bit more of an opportunity to offer the services that you deserve. So we are working on that. Let's talk about emergency preparedness. So this is a quick quiz for your phone. And I'm going to set you up and, and just talk about what we mean when we mean emergency preparedness. When we're talking about climate change, this is going to mean, unfortunately, more warm weather, so that will bring us more wildfires. We're going to see more extreme weather in the winter. Um, and it, 
we're also including earthquake preparedness because um, those are kind of the three big extremes that we're expecting or can expect in the future. How many gallons of water per person should you have on hand for emergencies? What is the recommended amount? And this is, this is a fast one. Per person, just per person. <laughs> so one to two gallons, five to seven gallons, 12 to 14 gallons, 10 seconds. Hey, all right, five to seven gallons. So the recommended amount is a gallon per person per day. And the Office of Emergency Management for the municipality recommends that you're ready for five to seven days. Nice job, everyone. Okay, so on health and emergency preparedness, like I said, we're preparing for more wildfires, unfortunately. What we saw this summer was that not only did we have really hot weather, but on top of that, we had bad air quality with wildfires. So that was really hard on us. We don't have cooling, right? And on top of that, we had to close our windows. And I had a hard time. That was That's our brief pocket of summer and um, it was a challenge to stay indoors. So, you know, how can we improve our, how, how can we be more prepared for that? And even in our homes, that means things like making sure that we're clearing brush and reducing chances and risks of wildfire in the first place and reducing that ability for it to spread. It means that we're also looking at high risk areas like places that don't have the infrastructure or the roads when there is a wildfire. So there's a couple of areas in our communities within the municipality that do have that situation and we're trying to develop more roads for them so that they can people can travel out of there and so that we do have the infrastructure that's needed. Um, we are also, I'm really excited about this, improving language access to residents on climate change. What we found after the earthquake was that there was a lot of information but there was some confusion, and certainly some confusion among people who don't speak English as a first language. So we actually, we got a small grant, and we've been doing some training with um, people who are leaders in our immigrant and our non-English native language communities. And so we've been working with them on, on emergency preparedness. And we're also doing uh, translating materials co for common messages after an emergency. Uh, ahead of time so that we are ready to go so that we don't have that confusion and people know what to do and they can just move on with their lives. So we're really excited about that. Okay, we've got a quick question on food. This is a fun one um, that Mike is going to pull up. What is your favorite wild food or Alaska grown food? Libby says pizza. Awesome. So this is actually no surprise, right? We kind of, we like a lot of the th same things. Salmon. I, I, I expected salmon to be enormous. So that's, that's pretty on par. Um, minus carrots. So thank you. That's just um, a fun, a fun thing that we talk about a lot in our in our office. Um, so in terms of our food systems, uh, we we import about ninety five percent of the two billion dollar amount of food that we purchase here in Anchorage. So that's a lot. That means that you know if our if we don't have access to our port, we don't have a lot of options. Um, and so we've been talking about ways that we can improve local food options and uh, encourage local food purchase. Um, we, we already have about 200 community plots and um, we are working on expanding that. And I just, I don't know a more empowering way to feel that you are prepared than growing your own food for your family. So this is a really exciting thing that um, I'm glad that we're a part of. Um, encouraging farmers markets to accept payment for local food, that makes a lot of sense, right? 
Um, and uh, this kind of overlaps with our waste, but talking about a commercial compost program. So uh, a lot of these sectors do tend to lapse, uh, overlap within each other. And this is one of them. We've got another quiz question for you. <laughs> okay, this is a test. Which of these trees is an invasive? The serviceberry, bird cherry, hawthorn, or crabapple? You guys are good. This is a hard one, I think, especially if you're looking at the pictures. It is the bird cherry. The bird cherry is the invasive in this group. And uh, it is hard to remove. You have to remove all the roots for it. And uh, so when you're thinking about you know, the ecosystem, when we talk about urban forests and watersheds, this is really about a healthy ecosystem. So we do talk about things like invasives and how to keep those at bay. Um, and we are talking about increasing recreational opportunities and quality of life. Not only that, things like our urban forests and our soils and our watersheds, those are actually a huge mitigation tool. Those can sequester a lot of our carbon. So this is really, you know, quality of life. This is mitigation. This is everything packaged in one. Not to mention, our, uh, we are working with APU to monitor the Eklutna watershed. Most of our drinking water and some electricity is coming from the Eklutna glacier. So that's a really big deal when we're talking about a warming climate. Um, I'm going to try to keep it going here. I've got one more sector. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to stay on the slide quick. Um, I wanted to talk about outreach and education. This is our seventh sector. It's such an important one. This plan is about you, and it is for you. And we can't do this on our own. The municipality is not able to do the leading that needs to be done to have the change that we need. And so this is about how we improve our communications with you um, and with our partnerships. Uh, we are developing an online climate action uh, website so that you can follow along with the work that we're doing and uh, potentially you'll be able to participate in that conversation online. Um, when we think about encouraging education in energy and the development of career, uh, that is a huge piece of it. We really need to keep this going for students and um, people looking for good paying jobs. Um, and so we're working with partners on this. The municipality isn't going to do it all. Our friends, for example, at Renewable Energy Alaska Project are working on ed energy education and career pathways. These are about partnerships. So if you want to partner with us on these things, we need you and we need to hear from you. I wanted to point out there's also an opportunity over here to share ideas. And now we'll pull up the very last mentee poll. So last question. And Common Ground and the municipality and all of our partners want to hear from you and we want to know what you want more information on and what you want to learn more about in order to empower yourselves to reduce your carbon footprint. So if you would just type in a question that you'd like to learn more about, um, they will pop up, but it won't say your name or anything. So uh, we, we are collecting these and we're going to be able to then um, follow up with you and offer what we can on this. Definitely some travel ones, federal legislation, that's good. Incentives, energy efficiency, awesome. Public transportation, winter sieves and farmer's market, year-round food storage, community building projects. Um, I definitely see some mass transit ones, and I want to point out that I hope you all watch for the People Mover report card that's coming out in January because they have kind of refabricated their, their ridership system, and I, I hope that you have heard about this, and their numbers are going back up, and I'm so excited for that. Okay, so um, I have just a couple more things to talk to you about really quick. You, I hope, are asking yourself, 
that's all fine and dandy. You're talking about all of these things that you want to do. I've barely scratched the surface of what is in the climate action plan, so I do hope you'll take a look at it. Um, but it's about how we implement it, right? And implementation is really about leadership and accountability. We are working on, through the climate action plan, you'll see kind of a two-pronged approach. Mayor Berkowitz has already developed the resilience sub-cabinet. This is many of the municipal employees uh, who are working together to implement the plan. This is not just me implementing a huge plan. This is many municipal employees working together to do their, their part. Um, within their department to make the municipality better. And, and it's, we're also reporting on those successes and on those challenges and learning from each other. So uh, we are meeting quarterly. I'm really excited about the sub-cabinet. It's been a really fun group to work with. Externally, as the other part of the plan, is in the Anchorage Climate Action Council. And the idea here is that this is an external body that is made up of university members, uh, municipality members, businesses, tribal corporations, um, nonprofits, all working together to kind of guide and give feedback to the municipality while we continue to implement this plan. So these are two really important pieces as we move along. Now you're wondering, next, I think, uh, what about measuring your success? Well, we are working on this. Um, our measurements and our metrics are going to go on the website. Um, this is really a challenge. Uh, there's question, you ask yourself, what can we measure and what should we measure? How do we measure it? Um, so there are many things we can measure and this is still a work in progress, but we're trying to figure out um, in terms of buildings, you know, what we've been doing. Uh, how many facilities were retrofitted, what kind of renewable energy we've generated. Uh, these are just some examples. On transportation, we want to know how much bike and pedestrian infrastructure we've added, uh, public rider transit, transit ridership, and EVs in the fleet. Each one of these will have goals so that we'll be able to see where we're at on the spectrum. If we're meeting our goals, we're getting closer to this beautiful blue skies um, image, and if we're not, you know, we need to know that, and we need to do better. Um, on waste, we've got waste converted to energy, how much is composted, how much is recycled, and uh, per capita waste reduction. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, Libby is going to take over again, and we want to leave you with, you know, asking yourself, what am I going to do to be a part of this, and what are my next steps? Because this is all about you. So thank you. Thanks, Shanna. So we're going to dive right into the questions. There are more questions than we have time. Um, and so we've tried to bundle them as best we can. But after we're here, you still have an opportunity to, to ask the questions of folks who are in the room. We'll pay attention to these questions and, and see if we can answer them in some other way than just tonight. So uh, one of the first ones is, how is the municipality preparing for drought? Uh, Portland, Oregon prepared for the drought and uh, did much better than the rest of the state. Uh, because of lack of snowpack, lack of snow, the Eklutna glacier shrinking, groundwater is decreasing. Are we doing any kind of rain catchment plans? We definitely have, we do have some rain catchment plans and there's the, um, um, we are working on a stormwater utility and um, there is a service uh, to look at rain gardens for your home and um, take some of that runoff and use it in your lawn. I mean, a simple thing that you can do as a resident is use a rain barrel to water your lawn. I did see a lot of people using um, sprinklers this summer. This was the worst drought I think we've ever had. 
So this is something that is still evolving for the municipality. And we, I think after this summer, realized it's something we've really got to take seriously. So it's definitely a work in progress. But yeah, the stormwater utility, I'm super excited about because it's currently kind of a hodgepodge and we really need to make sure that we're treating that correctly. Thank you. Uh, there were several questions to do with walkability and bikeability in the city. Uh, one of them had to do with safety, that there's quite a number of people on the bike trails that are, are living there now or camping or what have you, some concerns about that. Uh, concerns about um, making the sidewalks more usable all year round. Uh, I imagine that has to do with ice and snow question. And also whether or not police are um, enforcing car behavior to protect people who are biking and walking. So I know you won't know the answers to everything, but we'll give you a try. I mean, this is a huge issue. I'm a bike commuter too, and it's it can be scary. And sometimes you cannot ride on the road, even though you're supposed to. And sometimes you cannot ride on the sidewalk, especially in the winter if there's snow. Um, so there's definitely a couple of things that we're doing. Um, there's an effort to collaborate better uh, between the municipality and the Department of Transportation to make sure that the sidewalks are plowed. Um, it can be tough to get to a, a, a people mover bus stop, um, let alone bike to your destination. So. Um, I want to address these. These are definitely a part of the plan. These are a part of what we're working to implement. Um, I'm trying to think if I've, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, th I think the mayor wants to say something is what I'm being told. <laughs> jump, jump, if you want to, jump up to the mic, but do it quickly because we got a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay, first of all, these three are fantastic, and none of this would have been possible without them. So thank you all. We do have a drought plan in effect. We're looking for additional aquifers to drill on. Um, we used, during the height of the, the summer, we're using 50 million gallons a day as opposed to normally 25 million gallons. It's something we're aware of and we're conscious about. This last question was about whether the police are enforcing to make sure that the, the roadways are safer. Well, I, I wish we had more cops because then we could do more enforcement. We have about 430 cops in the city. We need about 700. Um, we would do more enforcement and things would be better if that were the case. What was the other piece of that question? Mm, snow and ice. Oh, sidewalks. So uh, our son Noah is here. If the sidewalk is unplowed, is it a state road or a municipal road? Noah? <laughs> yeah, those are state roads. <laughs> so most of the unplowed sidewalks are on, on state roads. And oftentimes what will happen is municipality will do something, they'll, they will plow, plow a sidewalk and then the, the state graders will come by and berm over it. And this is a consequence of the state budget cuts and if you want safer roads then you need to have a state fiscal solution and I hope that uh, Common Ground gets to that yeah, later next on. Next forum, next forum. Um, let me throw, before you go Ethan, let, what, one more question in that regard had to do with permitting of development right next to the bike trails and the roads, and I'm not sure if that comes to you either, if that's a state question. It looks like development is being permitted when we say we want to encourage bikeability and walkability, but nonetheless, people are building so, and developing. So one of the things we want to have is more neighborhood cohesion, more walkability, more accessibility, because that's really important, not just in terms of developing a smaller carbon footprint. People want to have neighborhoods that they can walk through, have coffee at, uh, and get their grocery shopping done, but it's also safer, because one of the great studies that ha has occurred over time is that when neighborhoods are walkable, they are more resilient. And when bad 
bad things happen, those resilient neighborhoods are much more capable of absorbing the, the acute shocks and the chronic stresses. Did I get that right, Mara? Okay, good. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trainable, apparently. Um, <laughs> So that makes a huge difference. And so we want to have more neighborhood cohesion. And that means we need more walkable cities. You're seeing this downtown. We want to do things with more mixed use um, so that you have retail downstairs and apartments upstairs. There's Elizabeth Place up the street here. We want to have more of those kind of denser housing. And those are options that will make Anchorage a, a more livable city. They will also. But we need to get, well, so there's a whole lot of studies on what you need in terms of, of wider sidewalks and in terms of you want to make sure that the sidewalks and the streets, the, the streetscapes are something that are interesting as people walk up and down the streets. You need to have a variability in terms of what people see when they walk up and down the sidewalks. There's, you look at some of the, the, the big cities across the country. Anyone been to New York City recently? Anyone walk on Broadway? Okay, not just perform on Broadway, but walk on Broadway. And so what happens then is when you take the cars out of the equation, things become more walkable. You have more good activity, and good activity will crowd out bad activity. So these are all components of being a carbon smart city, but also a more livable city. Thank you. Uh, this question has to do with, because of the drought, the number of dead and stressed trees that are now uh, all around Anchorage, are there any plans to clear them to reduce wildfire risk this coming summer? Yeah, these are hard questions because I don't know of all of our plans <laughs> and all of what we're doing in the municipality. Um, as far as clearing these, um, this is a huge issue because they're, this exacerbates the issue with wildfires if we have a lot of dead trees. Um, and it is a cost to residents if they have to take down, down their own trees. Um, but I, I don't know if we have a program for that right now. You can call AFD to get an assessment of your property, and then you can figure out, and I'm not sure if there's any funding available to help you take down some of the trees a little bit, but it's a really good idea to do that. I think the question had to do with the trees that aren't on private property, but we can think about that later. Okay. Is there a battery collection point in Anchorage? Yes, you can go to um, the hazmat uh, collection point at the central transfer station or at the regional landfill. Uh, thank you, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> thank you, Megan. On uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can go and drop off your hazmat. And I think it's up to 40 pounds free, and that includes um, oils and paints and anything else you might have that is hazardous. So we have come to the end of the time we agreed to. The research shows that if we do even one small thing, uh, we are much more likely to do more things. If we see the people around us doing things, we are much like more likely to do things. And if we publicly say we're going to do it, we are much more likely to do it. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. You just heard a panel discussion about Anchorage's Climate Action Plan. To read the plan or watch the full video of the event, head to the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. You can also find links and other content while you're there. This program was recorded on November 6th at 49th State Brewing Company and was presented by Alaska Common Ground. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page.
Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.